Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The 17th Sunday after Trinity, Luke 14, 1-11. Grace be with you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Savior, dear friends, perhaps there is no other land in which such legalistic notions are taught and believed concerning the celebration of Sunday as in our America. At the same time, the Sabbath is nowhere else disgraced so impudently as here and especially in our city. Investigations show that not half of the inhabitants of our great city visit a church on Sunday. From one year to the next, the great majority do not enter any house of God, and even fewer are actually members of a Christian congregation. The Bible of most is the newspaper. The more godless, the more hostile to church, and the more seditious its content is, the more readers it has. The churches of most are the saloons, shows, dance halls, and lodges of secret, unchristian societies. On Sunday morning, people work. In the afternoon, they pursue fleshly pleasures. That is the way most in this city celebrate Sunday. One government has passed stern Sunday laws, which they should enforce, but do not, in order not to lose the favor of the godless. They do not punish the most imprudent transgressions of the Sabbath laws. Yes, they publicly scoff at them. Sunday should be a day of pious rest, from which should proceed the sanctification of all other days of the week. The Sundays of most dishonor God. And most people give themselves to the most zealous, idolatrous worship of the flesh, the world, and the devil. Sad to say, many of our German people excel in this. They particularly are the ones who brought the desecration of the Sabbath into this land and have made it custom. Many no longer believe in God. Their principle is, let us eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die, and after death it's all over. Why should they go to church and serve a God in whom they do not believe? Others believe that there is a God, but they consider one religion as good as the next. The Word of God, which demands that every person repents, is converted and leaves the world, they deem, a babble of priests. They turn their backs to the church. They would rather go on Sundays to their societies, where 
name in only Christians, Jews, heathen, and rationalists sing together as brothers, we all believe in God. My friends, what do you suppose will be the result of this disgracing of the Sabbath? It is true that God has up till now shown great patience and long-suffering without land. Despite the general rampant disgracing of the Sabbath, he has overwhelmed our land and city with blessings, given rain and fruitful times, and filled us with food and joy. Do you suppose this will continue forever? No, indeed not. As certainly as God is a strong, zealous God, who has threatened to punish all who transgress his commandments, so certainly will God's punishment not stay away from our land. Sodom and Gomorrah, with all its godlessness, was, as the scriptures say, like a garden of the Lord. But when these cities did not let themselves be led to repentance by God's goodness, God caused fire and brimstone to rain from heaven, overturned those cities, and wiped them forever from the face of the earth. The same will befall our land if it does not repent. God has already begun to visit it in wrath with a bloody civil war and its frightful results, and now again with pestilence. But if our nation does not better itself, God will let even more frightful judgments come upon it. Blessed are all those who are grieved over this universal corruption and are upright lots in the midst of this Sodom. The Lord knows how to deliver them as his elect, for God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 2 Timothy 2.19 However, my friends, even among those who hold the celebration of the Sabbath in high esteem, there is a great difference. Some practice it in a true way, others in a false way. Since all of you belong to those who, without a doubt, do not wish to be among those who disgrace the Sabbath, permit me, on the basis of today's gospel, to speak to you about the false and true celebration of the Sabbath. Luke 14, 1-11 One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told the parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes and says to you, Friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So far, our text. In the portions just read, 
We are informed that on the Sabbath, Christ healed a man sick with dropsy before the very eyes of the lawyers and Pharisees who were lying in wait for him. They considered this a serious sin, the breaking of the Sabbath. This was the sixth time that Christ, in spite of the Pharisees, did that on the Sabbath day in order to rebuke their false doctrine of the Sabbath. From this we see that the correct teaching of how to hollow, hollow the Sabbath must be a matter of great importance. Permit me to present to you today, on the basis of our text, the false and the true observation of the Sabbath, the Pharisaical, legalistic observance, and the Christian, evangelical observance. We pray. O oh God, we are not at rest until you rest in us and we in you. But nothing can work such blessed rest in us except your holy, eternal word. Oh, therefore, send us an ardent love for your word, that it may be more precious to us than gold and much fine gold, and sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. May we hear and keep it in a good heart, and bring forth fruit in patience. To that end, bless also our devotion today for the sake of Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our Savior and Lord. Amen. What did the Pharisees do on a Sabbath? Far from using the opportunity to hear God's word from the mouth of Christ, with whom they assembled in the house of one of the chief Pharisees, we, we read, they were watching him. That is, they laid in wait for him with the intention of tripping him up on some point which they could find fault and bring him before the people as a Sabbath breaker. For this purpose, they seem to have taken special pains to have brought in one sick with dropsy in order to tempt Christ. They knew that he healed on the Sabbath. But far from accepting God's word, they were silent and only hardened themselves against his wholesome reprimand. One must also add that they, at the same time, showed a childish pride and thirst for honor. For when they afterwards were to sit down at table, we read, they chose the places of honor. You see from this that the pharisaical, legalistic observance of the Sabbath consists in the observing of the day, for example, not working, as the important thing, but considering the hallowing of the day as a matter of secondary importance. Yes, one can fail completely in hallowing the day. For if one would find it necessary to do a deed of love on the Sabbath, as the healing of the sick person, this the Pharisees considered a great desecration of the Sabbath. But that they on the Sabbath did not want to hear God's word, which Christ preached to them, yes, that they despised and hardened themselves against it, that they had a heart full of hatred and enmity against Christ, that they did not deem breaking the Sabbath. If that morning they had merely been in the synagogue and heard the law and the prophets with open ears but deaf hearts, and had received several prayers with their lips and abstained from all daily work, they supposed that they had kept the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy in the best way possible. Unfortunately, the tribe of these Pharisees has not yet died out. And here in America, there are only too many of such Sabbath keepers. First, there are many who would consider it a great sin to work on Sunday. 
They observe a truly Jewish and more than Jewish strictness and condemn even works of necessity and love. But that they should now and then unnecessarily miss divine services, the preaching of God's word, they do not consider sin. This, however, is simply a pharisaical, legalistic, hypocritical observance of Sunday. There are many who deem it a great sin not even to go to church. However, they do not go to church in order to hear the word of God to their soul's salvation, but only to do God a service. If they had merely been in church, they suppose that through this work, they certainly have kept the Sabbath. Whether they in that church hear the pure or adulterated word of God, or whether they hear the revealed doctrine or merely man's teaching, that is a matter of indifference. Yes, they quite probably secretly or openly hate the pure teaching. Perhaps they even want God's word to be expounded according to their reason or feelings of their heart, or even in a wrong and perverted way. That is the reason why the churches of the heretical sects are generally filled more than the churches of the Orthodox. This church-going is simply a pharisaical, legalistic observance of the Sabbath. Finally, there are ever so many who go to those churches where God's word is preached in its truth and purity, or where they suppose that it is so preached. They may hear it attentively. They permit themselves, as the Pharisees once were, to be stirred and vehemently shaken by severe sermons. But in spite of it, they remain as before. If they, as the Pharisees, bear hatred, enmity, or ill will in their hearts against someone, they remain like that. If they are very ambitious, arrogant, proud, and vain, they remain that way. If they are greedy, they remain greedy. If they are dishonest in their business, they remain dishonest. If they are drunkards and gluttons, they remain drunkards and gluttons. If they are lascivious and unchaste, they remain lascivious and unchaste. If they are untruthful, they remain untruthful. In short, if they are unconverted, they remain unconverted. They are the Sunday Christians, who on Sundays pretend to be pious, devout, religious, zealous, godly Christians, but on Mondays always resume their unchristian nature. Even the world says that the most zealous churchgoers are often the worst people. They think that Christianity does not mix with business. One must act just like the rest, or else one cannot get ahead. You see, even this is nothing else than hypocritical, pharisaical, legalistic observance of the Sabbath, by which one fulfills the letter of the law, but denies its true inner intention. Such observe the Sabbath, but they do not hallow it. They rather break and dishonor it. Now, if we have learned to know the pharisaical, legalistic observance of the Sabbath, let us also learn to know the Christian, evangelical way. This is presented in our gospel, chiefly by the example of the Lord himself. To be sure, we are not expressly told that on that Sabbath day he was in the synagogue where God's word was taught. 
However, we know from many other passages that whenever Christ came into a city on the Sabbath, he always went into the Sabbath and there attended the service, even though he was the Lord of the Sabbath and the whole law itself. Without a doubt, he was also present that day with the Pharisees and lawyers in the synagogue. And what did he do afterwards? When invited by a chief of the Pharisees to a noon meal, he did not decline it. Yet he did not accept it in order to seek earthly pleasures among and with these ungodly people, but in order to use this opportunity to impress God's word on them, confess the truth before them, lovingly admonish and reprimand them, and thus bring them to faith and entice them to true piety. In addition to this work of love, Christ also did a work of necessity. He healed the man sick with dropsy who had been brought to him. In these few lines, we have a complete picture of a true Christian evangelical observance of the Sabbath. Of what does it consist? First of all, an evangelically minded Christian, after the example of Christ, observes Sunday outwardly. To be sure, the command to rest from work on a designated day of the week is removed in the New Testament, for Paul expressly writes to the Colossians, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. But since it is necessary for everyone to have a day of rest once a week and busy himself above all with spiritual things, and since the Christian church has from the beginning designated and chosen Sunday for this, the evangelically minded Christian joyfully observes this necessary and wholesome church ordinance. He will never without cause work on a Sunday. He will never without cause miss divine services. He does not deem it a wearisome burden, but a great pleasure. Not an annoying, troublesome duty, but a precious Christian privilege. Although an evangelically minded Christian knows of his freedom from the Sabbath of the Old Covenant, he nevertheless, with great conscientiousness, observes Sundays as the New Testament Sabbath. This day is the most precious in the whole week. During his working days, he rejoices just thinking about it, as the wanderer in a desert rejoices in a green lawn and fresh water. His precious Sunday, when he is permitted to rest, he would not sell for all the gold in the world. Secondly, and above all, this is also part of the Christian evangelical observance on Sunday. On this day, the Christian occupies himself with God's Word. He reads it, hears it, reflects upon it, speaks about it, and converses with others about it. He lays more stress on sanctifying than on observing Sunday. A Sunday without God's Word and divine service is no Sunday as far as he is concerned. It is not immaterial to him whether God's Word is preached in its truth and purity or falsely. He flees all false prophets and all false churches with all earnestness and selects that service in which the unadulterated bread of life is broken. At the same time, the Christian not only hears God's word with his ears, but thus he also advances in knowledge, 
in faith, in love, in hope, in humility, in patience, and in all Christian virtues. In a word, in this way he is sanctified. When he enters the church and when he leaves, he prays to you, prays to God that his word, God's word, will not be preached to him in vain. He searches the scriptures, whether what was preached to him was true and repeats at home what he has heard. If the rebuke of God's word strikes him, he does not become angry with the preacher. He treasures the rebuke just as much as thorough instruction and sweet comfort. Though a Christian carefully observes, observes the Sabbath by bodily rest and hallows it by God's word, he does not permit his conscience to become so narrow as to consider it a sin to do works of necessity of love. He knows that to take care of children, visit and nurse the sick, help the unfortunate, and provide for the needs of body is not breaking the Sabbath, but are God-pleasing works fit for a Sunday. It does not occur to a Christian to sit on Sunday where the scoffers sit, go where the world in the lust of the flesh serves the golden calf and rejoices with it. Yet he has no scruples about finding his happiness, refreshment, and recreation on a Sunday in God's nature or in the company of beloved brothers and sisters in a sensible dinner. But he wants to have everything take place in the Lord, in the fear and honor of God, and seasoned with spiritual talk. Yes, just like Christ, he does not decline the invitation of the children of the world and the enemies of the truth, if he can be among them without having to share in their sins. But then he uses the opportunity to confess his Savior and the truth before friends and enemies and rebuke all ungodly conduct, if not always in words, then by example. Oh, my friends, when the observance of Sunday takes place in a Christian evangelical way, Every Sunday will become a day of sunshine, which lights up all other days with heavenly brightness. The pearl, the crown of all days, the true premier Sabbath on earth, upon which will follow the eternal Sabbath in heaven. So, let everyone ask himself, how do I celebrate Sunday? Pharisaically? Legalistically? Or as a Christian should? Do the Pharisees, at least in part, or does Christ, at least in part, picture my behavior? Ah, then, remember that how you celebrate Sunday will in many ways depend on how you will celebrate that day in eternity, whether you will belong to those of whom it is written, they have no rest, day or night, Revelation fourteen eleven, or to those of whom we read, they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Revelation fourteen thirteen. May God then help us all to observe the proper Sunday through the faithful use of his pure word and in eternity. Be partakers of the eternal Sunday in the temple of heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. Not sure what was the
You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, CFW Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.